Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Arena Regulars podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Jeff. And we're your source for weekly drunken Magic the Gathering arena content. That's right, just two regular dudes drinking some irregular beers and talking about Magic the Gathering in particular, their online client, MTG Arena. That's right, and this week is our first Sips of New Capena episode. One of my favorite types of episodes, <laughs> just like every type of episode. Classic. So we're just going to get into some of our first sips or first thoughts of the set and uh, kind of go from there. Also, we have our Worth a Slot segment, our world-renowned Worth a Slot segment. Yeah. <laughs> But first, each week we both bring a beer, we drink Jeff's, then drink mine, rate them on a scale of bronze to mythic, and choose the best for last. So with that, Jeff, what's on tap? All right, so we are taking, picking up where we left off with our takeover of Third Moon Brewing Company. This is our tap takeover. And uh, this time, decided to up the ante. So we tried their porter last time. Now we're going to try their imperial chocolate porter. Uh, so I'm hoping for bigger, badder, more chocolate. This is called From Underneath. It's an Imperial Chocolate Porter at 11%, and it has a... I don't know, is this supposed to be a zombie? It's hard to tell with the art style because the style is kind of like crosshatched shading kind of thing, but I think it's supposed to be a zombie coming up from the basement. From underneath. Um, yeah, it it's like a sketch, but this person or zombie thing... Um, has extremely long leg and long arm, as well as yeah. extra joints in the arm. It's very unsettling. Um, yeah, it's definitely unsettling. Yeah. Uh, great, more scary-looking beers. <laughs> great job, Yard Wolves. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have some magic news. <clears throat> the set is finally released. We have Explorer, now the new format, live on Arena. Um, it has been... Fantastic. This is always the best time of any um, magic life. I don't know. Uh, the beginning of a set is always really exciting. So uh, being able to play with new cards and a new format is especially uh, wonderful. I did yeah. want to talk about this, Jeff. I didn't write this down, so I don't know if you saw this. Um, have you seen or listened to the official Streets of New Capena soundtrack? Uh, no, this is the first time hearing of that. So... Wizards has had some musical influence in some sets at certain points. Um, in Call Time, they had a bunch of like metal bands preview cards and stuff. I don't know if they did this for Neon Dynasty. I think they had a couple songs that were written. But this one has a, a real official um, soundtrack where they like commissioned artists to write songs for it. And um, I listened to it. And it's, uh, it's nice. Go check it out. It's on Spotify and all the places you'd think it is. Um, it has very much of like a show tune jazz kind of feel. Uh, so very, I would expect, yeah, that's what yeah. I'd be expecting. So, um, but yeah, cool. Weird. Like just like a, Hey, Oh, by the way, we did this and it's just kind of just a cool thing that's out there in the world. Yeah. That's one of those awesome things that if you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it. So it's all upside. Exactly. And it doesn't cost anything. Hooray. Mm -hmm. Well, for us, it, they paid the artist, which is wonderful. Right. That's what we like. <laughs> Um, I like when they pay artists. Yeah, it is nice. Jeff, do you want to jump into this next segment to uh, just... <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about that. I've been waffling on it. But I think I think it's really best to let you handle it. Oh, man. <laughs> wah, wah. This segment's called Zach Fucked Up. Oh, no. I um, haven't had one of these in a while, though. Yeah, Sorry. but it's always me. It's never you. You know, it's always me. <laughs> 
Um, That's probably not true. I'm just not uh, accountable enough to, to own up to it. To, to make a whole segment. Episode. Yeah. <laughs> so um, earlier when we were talking about um, Obnixilis or Mobnixilis, um, you know, before we played with the card, I was fairly certain that when you made a copy of Obnixilis with Casualty, uh, you were not allowed to, or sorry, you can make a copy of that token uh, copy that you have with the Zika's Chariot. However, it will immediately die having zero loyalty. Um, that's not the case. You can have more. You you can copy it and it will have, the, I, I think, the number of, of casualty it had when it came into the battlefield. So Right. So it is important to note it's, it is that. So casualty is like a copyable ability or something. Wizards kind of wrote a little bit about it. Um, so if I sacked a creature with power two, uh, that's how much the token will have. It won't have however much it happens when you copy it. So it's not like if I work it up to four and then I attack with my secret chariot and copy it, it will have four. It'll still have whatever it had when I could cast it. Started it, yeah. But it also doesn't have zero. So um, that's why we're seeing a lot of Jund decks. Yep. <laughs> Um, which is a great time to just kind of jump into things or jund into things. Ha <laughs> um, ha. Streets of New Capena. How do we like it? What's going on? What's it like? Feel good? Feel bad? Let's let's get into it. Jeff, what are your first sips of this? Yeah, first sips. Uh, I'm loving it. So I haven't really jumped that much into constructed yet. I'm just sort of playing just to get a feel for it more than really wanting to like it's one of those things where sometimes i feel like a set could go either way for me i'm drafting because i know i'm supposed to and i'm like oh but i kind of want to play constructed but i feel like i should draft and this time was a bit different where i was like i kind of want to draft but i should at least play some constructed uh so that i you know can talk about it a little bit yeah um so <clears throat> usually that's a good sign uh for me um so i'm just loving the limited format and and yeah i'm letting the constructed pan out maybe a little bit but uh so far i wouldn't say there's anything too unexpected that i've run into but constructed's been fun too like just lots of different viable options yeah, yeah. interesting um i think my first sips are a little uh different i think um coming right into this uh as always the the launch day took forever um which is a fairly normal thing so anyone who was like oh a new set comes out and you know, it's all screwed up. Yeah, that happens every time. It, it, the, the Thursday, you it's not, don't... It's not usually quite this long, is it, though? Because, like, it, it, I got off work and then tried to draft. So that must have been, like, 6 p.m. or something. Yeah, it... Uh, our time. I think it was supposed to go live at 11 our time in the East Coast. And then it didn't really start working until, like, 7 or something. 7 or 8. So right. it was a long time, but the, we are used to having downtime. So that just usually just kind of expect to play on friday but in any case um i got fucking wrecked like i <laughs> i have drafted a lot um and boy was it just like banging my face against a wall for a long time <laughs> it took it took a lot of of work and <laughs> focus to to get a little bit better um which i feel like i'm kind of coming out of the hole i was in but I did come down to the end of my gems being like, well, this might be the last draft I can do and I'm just not going to have any more gems. <laughs> I guess I'm going right. to be screwed now. Um, so, which is not usually my experience. So it's been a little rough for me. Um, though it's still fun to play with new cards. I just, I apparently originally liked all the bad ones. 
<laughs> yeah, I've had some. I've been doing pretty well in draft, but I think a large part of it is that I was like I had let my draft rating decay, so I was bronze, mm-hmm. and then I worked myself up to like gold, and then the reset happened, so it shot me right back down to bronze, and then uh, now I'm like just starting to work my way out of the the early tiers again. So it's you never know with that kind of thing whether your success is because you're you have a decent handle on the format or if you're just playing sort of uh, against you know you're not really playing in the correct tier for your yourself yet yeah no i i agree it is fun to play some of the um lower tiers um it, it does make me feel like i i think i'm a fairly solid like gold platinum player like sometimes i can't like even in draft i'm like i'm just not getting out of gold like what's going on um but it also depends on the draft uh format depending on which um which one it is if i if it really clicks or not uh can drastically change whether uh i'm I'm able to do well uh which i think is it's fairly normal i don't think everyone is like amazing at every format sometimes they like kind of link up with what you're uh what your play style is. And sometimes it's like, nope, you got to do the opposite of what you're, you're initially thinking. So kind For of sure. go. And I like direction. sort of getting to learn the format in the lower tiers where losing doesn't cost you as much. Cause you don't actually lose any tiers. Mm-hmm. Some, I have found that a couple of times when I had to do this fighting out of bronze thing, uh, I developed some, some bad habits. Like I thought certain cards were good because they were being really effective for me. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped winning in platinum and it, I had to like realize that card is not good and I should stop taking it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's hard. But, um, I think what I have kind of landed at is that it seems like white feels pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. But it's mainly because flyers are very strong. And yeah. I have lost the most to flyers and have quickly realized that I need to make sure all my removal goes to whatever flyer they're going to play later because I'm just going to get hosed by it. So it's like common white flyers and the common blue flyers are the ones that are just going to kill you. Yeah, I found the, the same thing that uh, I found myself wanting to be in Azorius mm-hmm. because I think... Both Bant and Esper um, have been pretty good for me. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, the Brokers and the Obscura in terms of this set. And so if you start out in blue-white, not only do you have decent commons and these good good flying creatures, um, you can splash your way, if, if the opportunity's there, into what I think are the better, like, uh, shards. Yeah. Fa- families, I guess you might call them in this set. Um, like I've found brokers to be quite strong and then obscure is pretty good too. Um, and a lot, huge part of that is literally just what you're talking about. Let's get some flyers down. Let's put some shield counters on them or some plus one, plus one counters. And it's like very difficult to race. Also, you know, being able to get into white and blue lets you, uh, connive and conniving seems a lot stronger than I originally thought. Yeah. Connive is very good. It's always fun to, like, am I going to discard the the land or the spell? Mm-hmm. It's like you feel bad discarding a land, but then you're like, well, no, wait, I actually just drew a card pretty much. That's, pre- that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I don't necessarily need the counter. Yeah. And sometimes it's great. Like, Rafine's Informant, it's the the white uh, two-mana 2-1 two, that connives when it enters the battlefield. But that immediately being a 3-2 is 
big because you're just like, well, I'm going to trade with your your three drop or whatever your if your opponent seems to be going slow or something. Um, you don't just get like stonewalled by a stupid citizen token or something. Uh, so yep. <laughs> playing as many of those as I can find tends to be great, especially when you, if you're trying to get to another color or like a third color, having something that connives on two is really helpful to find your fixing. Yep, for sure. Um, and I would say in general, that's kind of the approach I've been taking, uh, is to try to get into one of these two color pairs that gives me two options for my shard. Uh, and then sort of going from there, right? Like, while you can do the thing where you take all the dual lands early mm-hmm. and all the, you know, obviously the tri-lands yeah. if you see them, um, you can do that and you can end up with these, like, five-color good stuff decks. And I've done a bit of that. I've found myself preferring to g- do a two-color deck that maybe splashes. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that, where um, being focused on just two colors and maybe you have a splash of like a charm or one of the legendary creatures or something uh, feels a lot better. Um, especially if your splash is uh, a more expensive card or even just like the, the common fixing creatures that like you pay the two to oh, exile yeah. it to make one of your lands play. It becomes really great because you're like, Oh sick. Well it will play itself. I don't always have to even worry about getting the land in there. Cause I can splash for this thing, and it's great. Oh, yeah. And the, the Brokers one, by the way, is, like, just legitimately really good. Yeah. It's just, like, a 4-4, four, four, you know, for 5 is already not that bad, and it just has all the upside. And then the, is it, like, a pseudo-pacifism, a one-turn pacifism? Yeah. And when it enters the battlefield, it's just, like, very it's, good. Because it's good if you're attacking through it, or also if you're behind because it can stop right. their, their flyer from attacking. Yeah, you. sometimes you're like, oh, there's nothing they can do, and they just drop this okay, it's like I'm going to block that thing and then that thing can't attack. You're like, okay, well, I guess that, that bought you a whole turn yeah. from one card. Like, damn. Just like the um, the Esper one, the or I guess, sorry, the um, Obscura one, which is the 4-4 mm-hmm. the Angel that gives you a bunch of life. And you're like, oh, sick. Well, I can negate one of their attacks and then now I have a 4-4 Flyer and it's going <laughs> to kill them. <laughs> so For sure. Yeah. Uh. Um, yeah, so that'd be my, my broad advice is like try to get yourself into one of these two color pairs that can go into different into two different families. So white blue being the best one, but I've also really liked green white. You know, it's totally fine to go into cabaretti. Like shoot for brokers and if you miss you get cabaretti. It's like not the end of the world. Yeah. I've done some red black, obviously, because <laughs> I'm obviously gonna do that. Um, but I haven't liked it as much as the other four options for your sort of two-way, two-color pairs, um, unfortunately. Uh, I, I enjoy playing Maestros a lot, uh, but I think it's kind of mid-pack in, yeah. terms of the, in terms of the families. Yeah. Once I get a couple more drafts under my belt, even though I've already done a bunch, um, <coughs> next week we're going to talk a lot more about drafting, so uh, stay tuned for that, and we'll have a bit more um, stuff to, to kind of add to this. But... For the moment, you know, hey, play two color. I know it's a three color set, but play two color, splash another one. You'll be a lot happier. I, I do have an early call out for my pick for best common in the set. Mm-hmm. So I just want to get this on record. Okay. And this isn't that bold of a call. So <laughs> I just wanted to, I felt it'd be fun. We're doing it for constructed later with our, you know, best cards and, and call outs. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have best common. Okay, so this 
Uh, let me just make sure I'm getting the name right. Okay. The best common, I think, is Celestial Regulator. So this is one white-blue for a 2-3 flyer, and when it ETBs, you tap a creature you don't control, and then if you control a creature with a counter on it, that creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. This is like a flying 2-3... Uh, what's that cat that did this? Frostlings. Frostlings. Like, and Frostlings is a totally respectable limited card on its own. Give it flying and an extra point of toughness. I had to like read this card an extra time when it got cast against me the first time, because I was like, why is this a common? What am I missing about this card? <laughs> and nope, there's so many counters, by the way, that it's almost always, like, Frostlinksy, unless you're just trying to slam it out there as a Windrake, which is also a totally reasonable thing to do. So it's just like, I don't know, this card's very, very good, and a big reason uh, why I want to be blue-white, the fact that this is a common. All right, so... That's kind of what we think about draft at the moment. Um, I do not have a common I think is the best one right now. Uh, I have a couple, but I, I don't feel very confident in just, uh, you know, just shooting my shot right now. But maybe next week I'll have something for you. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit about, we're going to talk about standard later. So maybe a little bit of Explorer. Were you able to kind of jump into this format a little bit, see what's going on? Because I sure did. Uh, yeah, I got to mess around with it a little bit. Um, yeah, it's just kind of crazy because you're playing with a lot of cards that haven't been able to play with or against in a while. So the, one of the big ones, obviously, is Fires of Invention. People are kind of going crazy over Fires of Invention. Um, another one is one that you've been playing, I hear. So yeah. it's, it's another band four drop that uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I haven't uh, had to play against in a while. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of uh, Winota just because it's a creature deck that seemed fun to play. And it is. It's really interesting. Um, especially now we have like Kiki Jiki and you're playing like um, Chariot because it's awesome. And a lot of those things being able to like attack in and try to get as many triggers so that you can either get your elite spellbinders out or you can get um, Brutal Cathars to take out blockers and stuff like that. Um, it's been fun. You definitely just kind of win out of nowhere. You're just like, yep, and I, yeah. I win. Yeah, I know Winota's big player in Pioneer. And from what I can tell, there's not too much in the Pioneer version that you're really, really missing in the Explorer version. Mm -hmm. So it made a really good candidate for a deck that's just going to have a you know an early success uh, in Explorer because it's just one of the best decks in Pioneer. Yeah. Um, I also played a bit of Grease Fang combo just because I wanted to see how it would work. Um, of course. Which was a lot of fun, except for everyone uh, everywhere was playing a ton of like regular graveyard hate. That's just like, well, I, the, all the problems from Historic are still here. I can't. Right. Everyone I play against is playing Graveyard Trespasser for some reason, and I it just can't win. <laughs> um, also now with Winota being around... Um, Cards like um, Red Cap Melee, because I think Model Red is around. Yeah. So Red Cap Melee has been pretty good against Winota, as well as, um, uh, what's that card? Uh, Fry, I think. That's uh, one in red for an uncounterable kill a white or blue, or deal five to a white or blue thing. Um, right. Really good against Winota, or any sort of control deck that has Planeswalkers that you can't touch. Or... Uh, well, Grease Fang and uh, Parkelian 2 happens to also die to that card. <laughs> so um, 
seeing all those sideboard cards was pretty rough playing the Grease Fame deck. So I was like, I'm going to put this down and I'm going to play Woodnote. <laughs> Um, yeah. But yeah, it seems like a lot of people are pretty excited about it and playing a lot of the constructed events that we were talking about. Um, I've been seeing a lot of people showing their trophies off online and uh, all the play-in points people are getting. It, it seems like it's really working. People are really excited. I think the only thing is they just kind of wish that... Um, I think the prize payout, they wish that instead of getting an extra pack, you could get a little bit more gems just so you can keep playing. Sure. Um, and being like, I, I like the packs. Thank you for the packs. I wish that I could just just jump into these events over and over again easier. Yeah, and I would say, like, you know, there are a few contenders for decks a lot of people are playing. Like I said, I personally ran into a ton of Fires of Invention. But even in that category, everyone was kind of playing their own take on Fires of Invention. Mm -hmm. So um, even though I had to play against that card a lot, I still felt like, it was a pretty diverse metagame to, to open things up. Yeah, even like playing against the red decks, it was like, well, they might be playing uh, Burn with like Hazaret, or they might be playing like the um, Embercleave, freaking what's-his-face, Dwarf Man that makes everything like... Torbrand. Tor Tor um, Dwarf yeah, Man. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of that deck, actually, which I don't know if I was necessarily expecting, but mm -hmm. Mono Red with Torbrand and Embercleave, just like the, the Mono Red standard deck from a couple of years ago yeah with like stomp and everything yeah it's been mm -hmm. uh good so yeah it's it's just nice to have another format that's just like oh it, it just feels it just feels like a breath of fresh air there's all this crazy stuff going on of course it will uh inevitably settle down and, and kind of show us what the, the meta is really going to be but it's always fun to have something new yeah, which is why I've been playing uh, Rakdos Sacrifice, so that I could get a different feel from the other formats that were available to me. And really, really mix it up. Nice, yeah. Just make sure you can get those Rakdos Sacrifice reps in. Although I, I haven't pulled the trigger on crafting Obnixilla so much, because I'm like, I'm drafting so much, I'm just going to open them. And I just keep not opening them. So uh, I actually don't have those in my list, because I just kind of took a typical pioneer list and haven't added in any of the new Katana cards. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems very similar to me where I have opened a bunch of Obnixilis, but none of the broker's cards that I wanted to build a broker sec. I haven't opened any of them and I've been really frustrated. Yeah, if I could like stop opening sanctuary wardens, that'd be great. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> but that card's so good. It's also only one color. So it's like, <laughs> And it's the color you want to be in, so. Oh, yeah, but I open it in, like, pack three when I'm Riveteers or something. Yeah, classic. Always. Like, I never start the draft off with that. That'd be too good. No, of course not. No, no, you're going to start off the draft with it's just some... I can't even think of a garbage one at the moment, but yeah. <laughs> besides, like, the meeting of the five, which I've luckily dodged every... I've never seen that card. I've, it's never been in any of my packs, any of my prize packs, nothing. I haven't seen that card at all. It's great. Nice. <laughs> Fucking meeting of the five. Get out of here. What is this? <laughs> really hope you lose to it at some point in draft. <laughs> oh, that would be... That would hurt so much. That's, one of us has to lose to it at some point, so... I just don't... I don't think anyone's going to play it. I don't know... <laughs> Yeah, terrible. and once you get higher higher in tier, it becomes less and less likely that your opponent is playing it. So yeah. it's like, 
what can you do? Yeah. yeah. Those are the packs where you're like, no, I'm going to take whatever land is there at, over the meeting of the five. I'm not taking oh, yeah, the lands card. are good picks. Yeah. They're really strong. Like dual lands that you can trade in the late game for a, a, a new card. Yeah. Very good. Great. <laughs> it's a good time to be an arena player because, uh, ooh, there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you managed to run into anything like super crazy that you didn't expect? Pioneer? In Explorer? Sorry, in Explorer, yes. <laughs> um, I'm sure I have, uh, but I can't... It, I've played a lot of Winota Mirrors, um, mm-hmm. which has been interesting, trying to figure out how to um, kind of sideboard against that. Um, and I was playing for a while um, Gala Greeters to see if it was any good in Winota, just because you're playing a bunch of creatures. And being able to get counters and extra treasure seemed possibly interesting. Um, but for the most part, uh, no. It's been a lot of uh, just Azorius control, uh, which is a horrible matchup, and um, Winota Mirrors. And I haven't even played against Fires of Invention. I've just been playing against like Red Decks and uh, Rakdosak stuff. So so I think the coolest thing I've played against is, was like this Grixis Treasures deck that just had all the good treasure generating cards, but then a bunch of like Tezzerets to turn oh. them into, into like four fours and five fives or, or kill stuff. Cause one of the Tezzerets kills, like gives something minus X minus X where X is the number of artifacts you have. And he makes treasures, but they're called Ethereum cells or something. Right. And I think they were playing revel and riches. And I was like, you had me until revel and riches. Like, yeah, you, you don't need it. Your Tezzerets can win. Your other stuff can win. Um, but that was the sweetest deck that made me want to, like, go build that deck. And then I realized I don't have any of the Tezzerets, and that's a lot of Mythic Rare wildcards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that seems pretty sweet. You did jog my memory. Um, I was playing against a Grixis reanimator deck that was... Okay, I already loved it. Okay, so it was playing um, uh, Soren, the, uh, the mono-black one, that lets you play uh, a vampire from your hand for free. Interesting. And, and so I've seen versions, there are a lot of mono-black versions that play Xander. Um, and so you mm-hmm. play that and then you just take over the game because Xander's crazy. But this is one that you would like, which was um, Olivia Crimson Bride. So you play her yes. off of Sorin. But then the card you're reanimating is Torgar from Dominaria. That when you... Because oh. you can bring that back from the graveyard. It's like a 7-6 and it makes a player's life total... Uh, equal half of their starting life total right so you can usually on turn three get them to 10 because you hit them with that and then both of those creatures equals 10 power equals 10 exactly and then you yeah. kill them uh so if you don't have any blockers or interaction you're just dead uh on turn three which is very rough but um it <laughs> it is cool um it's it's uh, it's not the best strategy, but it, it was a really cool deck to play against. Yeah, you're definitely speaking my language. Like, it's almost certainly worse than just putting Xander into play mm-hmm. with Soren. Yeah. But it's way cooler. It's way cooler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it hurts a lot when you exile or uh, you kill their Olivia Crimson Bride, and then their Torgar is gone as well. And then they just have Torgars in their hand, and they can't play them because they don't have any creatures. Uh, yeah. That becomes a little rough. <laughs> But that's the, the plight of the uh, reanimator player. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, sitting there with four gristle brands in hand, like, here mm-hmm. go. <laughs> but that was sweet. It, it's been cool to see some of that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, 
I'd say overall, it's just looking really good. Um, obviously, it's just the first weekend. Uh, but we have some, like, you know, try-hard competitive players like Zach playing Winota. You know, <laughs> some, some cool people out there building Grixis treasures. And uh, you, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Even Rakdosak. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Man, I haven't played with Mayhem Devil in a while. I forgot how ridiculous it is. It's the worst. I usually just like, mm, scoop. <laughs> I, I hate. <laughs> Honestly, though, if you're at like 13 or less and your opponent plays a Mayhem Devil in the late game, there, it's pretty good chance you're dead. Like, yeah. it's, there's some way they can sack that many things for sure. <laughs> and it's always more than you think. Just a right. cat in an oven is enough to just, like, ruin your day. Right. Cat, oven, mayhem devil is, like, three every cycle. It's really easy to kill somebody with. Yeah. Or just anything you play. It's rough. It's, and it takes a long time, too, which is annoying. Because they, all the <laughs> yeah. clicks. And there's, like, nothing you can do about it. Because they can do it in response to you doing something. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, suspect you have some way to gain life or something. I don't know. Uh, if you try to exile anything, you can't. It's all. It's going to get sacked in response, and it's going to leave leave the zone. It's like there's not a, there's just not a lot you can do, and I think that's what makes. I would honestly, as someone who plays Rakdos Sacrifice, I think they should just get rid of the cat oven combo, and I don't mean ban it from Explorer and Pioneer. I mean purge it from Magic's existence. <laughs> it's just like never existed. You just, just take out one of those cards. <laughs> yeah, what you should do is just like. Well, of those cards, it should just be the oven because the cat and having to do some funky, like, food synergy would be interesting. Yeah, if you could get it to come back a couple times, good job. Um, It's the oven that's the annoying one. Just like the Right. The fact that you could, when they're together, you could just do it at any time you want. You can dodge, like, three removal spells a lot of the time. You're like, okay, I can't beat four removal spells, but I can beat three. Like you shouldn't be able to beat three. Like, yeah, it's like you have a single one-one creature. <laughs> like it's not. Just put the stupid like at sorcery speed clause on it, and then, like you can sack anything at instant speed, but you only get a food if it was sorcery. That kind of thing. Boom. Yeah, they did some. They did that with Anvil, right? When right? they printed Anvil, they had learned from the cat oven combo, and, and they they made it like you can sack at any time, but you only get the benefit at sorcery speed. You know what they should do? They should just start taking like. That's a rebalancing thing where it's like, yeah, let's just rewrite stuff. Instead of banning cards, you should just make them silver border or like uh, whatever, acorn stamp, whatever. So it's like, oh, these are all uncards now. Like, they don't seem... so ridiculous. Yeah, it's exactly. Just like it's way Loco, overpowered. Thief of crowns. <laughs> Unfinity. The there joke is that it's outrageously overpowered. Yeah. Uh, and it, it would just be, I think that would be kind of a funny joke to just be like, oh, these are in unsets now. <laughs> if the next unset just had Oko Thief of Crowns in it. The problem is they'd worry like people would actually try to, like somehow they would actually fetch a lot of money and like, I don't know. I guess you can't actually play it anywhere, but except for unless your commander group's like, yeah, you can play silver border stuff, right? Like commander players would still want it, but yeah, which they're selling to anyway. So why not? There, boom! I solved all your problems. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just make every. Is Oko even group. good in commander? I don't even know. Uh, I think it's maybe like CDH. I think any like it's still good. Like it still does the thing. Right. It's not. But it's not like it's not busted. the same. No, but. It still like destroys whatever you want, or like, or yeah, I guess that's true. You have to like face all kinds of different permanents. Yeah, so it's like, oh, I just have this, and it'll do it for me. 
anyway, literally answers everything and leaves me with upside. That's yeah. pretty probably pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yes. Anyway, uh, there we go. Boom. <laughs> Turning card silver border instead of banning. I love it. Seems great. Let's do it. That's our main conclusion out of our exploration of the new uh, the new set, the new format, and, and the new set. Yes. Um, but Jeff, our, our limited exploration. Yeah, um, <laughs> we might even have some more limited talk next week. Uh, but with that, Jeff, do you think we should get into our worthless slot segment? I think it. I think it might be time. I'm looking forward to it. All so. right. So before that, we're going to go on a beer break. This beer break is brought to you by our patrons over on Patreon. That's right. You're already supporting the show just by being a listener. But if you want to support the show even more, the Patreon, that's the best way to do that. And when you become a patron, you get an exclusive invite to our after party, which is a mini episode recorded immediately after this one where we ramble on about uh, non-magic things. Plus, you get to vote on which one of us you like more by, well, just click that Buy Jeff a Beer button. It's right there. It should be the only, like, the most prominent thing on the page, I think, if I remember correctly. No. Um, but you just give that a click. No. And, uh, yeah. No, no, no. You yeah. just, the one right before it is Buy Zach a Beer. And that's the one you really want to click on. Because mm. uh, that's what everyone else has clicked on. So <laughs> uh, you should just buy, my, <laughs> buy me a beer. <laughs> All right. Let's even those odds. <laughs> uh, so go to patreon.com slash arena regulars to see how many votes I have over Jeff. <laughs> oh you know jeff today i was just thinking about mortality you know mm-hmm. and i was just thinking yeah. you know at some point all things die mm-hmm. luckily that's the name of our beer this evening all things die wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a segue um <laughs> Uh, this is the, uh, the beer from third moon that I am bringing tonight. It is a double IPA 8.1% and it has a picture of some sort of bird with a, a human skull face. Um, it's another kind of scary thing. This one's a bit prettier though. Cause the colors are, are really nice. And isn't um, this pretty much that card from midnight hunt? Which one? Like there is like a flying thing that made a two, two decayed zombie. Kind of. Oh shit. Like you're right. It's the, um, yeah, the uh, the blue one, the Windrake that does some that. sort of abomination, I think. Yeah, I can't remember the. Yeah, I love I love all the crazy Windrakes they make now. Like this new one has lifelink essentially. Yeah, <laughs> that one made a two-two. Just like I remember the days when Windrake was a solid, totally, totally solid card. Yeah, now it's not good enough. You need something else. But uh, it was Falcon Abomination, right? That's what it was, Falcon Abomination. You're right. Um, but anyway, excited to get into this double IPA. We got a big, hefty evening after that eleven uh, percenter. We got an eight point one percenter. So, watch out. We might uh, pass out in this next segment. So it's time it's like for nineteen point one percent. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, Definitely how it works. That's how it works, and it is time for our worth a slot segment. The time where Love we. It. Uh, we, we start off a new set. We, we say which cards are worth a slot in your standard deck or maybe a different format deck. Who, who knows? But, uh, you, you might be able to craft some of these and feel pretty confident about it. Uh, yeah. I mean, hopefully. Hopefully. It's not always (laughs) that way. Um, but I think this, this time, um, we tried to make sure, and I think from, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna start saying some good stuff. You, you should, you could craft these and feel good about it right and we'll keep triomes off the list i guess since you know we've kind of 
we don't want them all to be triumphs. Yeah, I mean, there's there's only <laughs> six slots, and uh, well, triumphs can't take all of them. Uh, so Jeff, tell us what our our system is for our worth a slot segment. All right, so our categories for the worth a slot, uh, we've named them after a well-known sporting event, and I'll let you see if you can figure it out from the names. Um, so first we have our layup. Um, these are cards that basically will almost certainly see some amount of play. Basically, these tend to be the best cards in the set. Then we'll have a three-pointer. Uh, these ones are a little more, you know, more of a shot, um, but they're going to be good cards. You can expect them. They might see some play. They might see a lot of play. We're not really sure. And then our half court, these are ones that, let's be honest, we want to see play, um, but probably, probably won't. won't. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're giving you some good stuff, so you should feel fairly confident in, in crafting the ones that we tell you how many to craft them, basically. So, right. Not everything is, is worth four crafts. Just know that when you're crafting cards, you don't need to get all four copies. Throw that idea out the window. It's actually really, really helpful to know, like, oh, is this a rare I only need two of? And you happen to pick two up drafting. Suddenly you're good. You, know? you, don't, you don't need all four of everything unless your goal is to collect, which a lot of people love collecting. So that's true. That's totally fine, too. But uh, some cards are just never going to have more than two copies you know, in the deck because yeah. they're just very specific. Also, if you're a collector, just know that's going to cost money. Just, it's going to. Right. <laughs> um, it, it is unreasonable to think that you will get every single card from every single set without putting any money in. So, if you can, Wizards probably didn't do their, their job properly. Yeah. Because <laughs> pricing the, the product. You can't do that in paper either. So, <laughs> all right. Jeff, let's get right into this. Um, I have a very important coin for us. The ceremonial oh, yes, tuning is back. Uh, so we get to pick who's going to go first. We're going to snake draft this thing uh, because we probably have some of the same things on our lists, though I might have some curveballs for you. Who knows? All right, Ooh, Jeff. That's a different sport, you know. It, it is. But, uh, hey, you could, th you know, you, you, you spin a basketball, right? You, like, you, there's yeah. a little, you curve it, right? No. I mean, I guess we do often talk about uh, home run slam dunks. So. That's true. So we do like, hey, there you go, curveballs into us, the layup. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a curve pass ball. Let's go. Uh, I'm going to flip this coin, and you're going to say heads or tails. Here you go. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. Tails. It's heads. Oh, but you didn't tell me you were going to catch it and flip it. I thought I was just going to hit the deck. I've always catched and flipped. I thought it was catch, catch and look, not catch and flip. Otherwise, I would have changed my guess. Jeff, I know it's been a really long time, but I also know that you always say tails never fails. So I, I don't yeah, believe that for a second. Fails. But it fails so often. It fails like almost half the time. Yeah, I know. Especially with this coin that's only both heads. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to take a look at that coin at one point. <laughs> you have not been able to see it for a very long time, actually. So... Yeah. Um, Perfect. All right. I get to go first. That gives yeah. me a really, really juicy layup. Here we go. Are you ready for it? Is <laughs> this one was pretty important to get the first pick for. I believe, I strongly believe you should spend your wild cards on this three mana planeswalker. <laughs> All four <laughs> copies for Obnixilis. Mwahaha. 
yeah, although some people apparently don't even have to spend wild cards on them. They're just yeah. that lucky. I have three copies from just drafting, which is fantastic. But Jeff, I think that you should craft, use four mythic wild cards on Obnixilus the Adversary, just because, um, well, it's amazing. We've been talking a lot about this card. Uh, it's very strong. The fact that you can copy all the copies or the tokens, um, very strong. Playing Jund seems like a lot of fun. And uh, this guy hanging around really warps the entire meta against it. Either you play Obnixilis or you don't. And uh, that's kind of how the decks are going to run these days. So I say, might as well join him, craft all your copies, because if he's so good he gets banned, you get those wild cards back. Might as well just spend them up front and just jump on the train, man. Yeah, totally. So yeah, we should spend some time talking about him. I know we've spent... Uh, sometime in both the past two episodes <laughs> talking about Omnixilis. But this is the first time we've actually gotten to play with him, and this is one of the, you know, a lot of the times cards look super powerful, then you play against them, you realize they're not that good. Uh, this is not one of those times. This is one of those times where every time I've seen it resolved on the battlefield, I've been like, what is this? Why does my opponent get two Planeswalkers for three mana? And um, usually it's not even only two. Usually they right. end up with three or four. Um, so, right. And the other thing that we did mention it a couple of episodes ago or, or last episode, but I think it was two ago. Um, but I didn't realize how important it was. But the, the second copy isn't useless. It adds another, like, sorry, the second copy of the card in your hand. If you draw a second Obnixilis. A lot of the times when you draw a second version of the Planeswalker, the best you're going to do is get to activate twice in one turn. You, like, play one, you activate the first one, play the second one, lose the first one, and activate again, which isn't, you know, the worst. It gives Planeswalkers some amount of insurance against double draws. But Obnixilis gets you ahead because you get another copy. You'll end up with three Obnixiluses when you play the second one that you drew. Yeah. Because the copies are not legendary. So, um and when your opponent has three copies or more of this thing, forcing you to discard a card or get drained for two, that's like six a turn or three cards. A, like There's no way, there's nothing you could do to make that not obnoxious. Yeah, <laughs> especially when they have a devil or a demon where they're also gaining life. Right. Was that part necessary, by the way, on this card? Like, was it? Did, were they like, you know what? This card won't see any play unless we add a little bit of incidental life gain to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do like it because it does give you uh, incentive to minus one of your Obnixilises, which leads me to my next point, is that you want the real copy of Obnixilis to die. You're totally fine yes. with it. You When you play the, the two... Um, no matter what card you ended up sacking for the casualty for the, the um, token copy, minusing the real one and plussing the token is usually a good idea because then you get the devil to block one of them. And if the real one dies, if you draw a redundant copy, like you were saying, you just get to keep the next one. It's usually upside. And the, there's so right. many more things you can do with the token than what you can do with uh, the actual real card, it's usually better to just keep the token around. Yeah, I'm glad you called that out because that's maybe a little unintuitive. If you weren't thinking about it, uh, you would probably just let the token die because mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, whatever, that's the fake one. But you're absolutely right, you know, especially if you're playing Jund because you can copy it with the Seekers Chariot, you can't copy the real version. Um, like, you know, there's numerous reasons that you want the token. 
and I can't think of many reasons that you would want to keep the main one. Like, if there were a lot of, like, bounce spells for non-land permanents... Maybe. Then you'd want the real one. But there's just not a lot of that going on right now. Mm -hmm. I can't even think of one, to be honest. Like, I'm thinking of Into the Royal, which nobody plays, so... Yeah, so... Um, really in any case, it's a, it's a really great card to have. And it is interesting. I was watching Andrea Mangucci's stream and he was just talking about how it's shifting the meta into a really bored, heavy meta where you need to have a presence to deal with all the copies of Obnixilis that's, that are around that come out so quickly. And also this Esper, um, Planeswalker deck that we're going to get into it. Like you just need some sort of board presence with creatures that can get through and deal damage to these planeswalkers because they are really strong and they're, they're coming around. Um, cause a lot of times Obnixilus isn't even, it's just the first planeswalker you see, then they're going to play a Lolth after that. And so right. you're like, this is choosing which planeswalkers to attack becomes really important and kind of having your, your list of, well, do I attack Lolth first? And then the real Obnixilus I can keep around. So I'll try to get rid of the token like all that stuff, it gets really complicated. So um, this card is just format warping and uh, I would not be surprised if it gets banned. Um, with that being said, I'm not calling for bans. I just think I always, we, sorry, as the arena regulars, we are always on the side of if a card might get banned, craft it because then you get free wild cards. Right, because it certainly won't get banned in uh, Explorer, I don't think. So Probably it's like not. if if you craft it, then you get your wild cards back when it gets banned in standard, and then you have them if you ever want to play it in historic or in explorer. Uh, that's the reason that that we advocate for that. Yeah. Um, or if you it's rebalanced and spend your time and you you miss the standard banning, then you you still have to pr uh, craft them if you ever decide you want to play them in explorer. Or, exactly. Uh, historic. That's why um, I already have I, all I, my omnith. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. That's why I have all my omnaths for explorer. Right. Because that's the first thing we did on our very first episode of this podcast was tell you to <laughs> craft on that. So I thought you were gonna say it's why you opened three of them in draft. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, if I had to guess, you know, if we're putting me on the spot, I would say this card won't get banned. But it's the closest we've seen in a while, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, like it, it, it is warping the whole format. They just have to decide if it's warping it in a bad way. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think making people play to the board is not a bad thing, actually. No. All right, but you mentioned the Esper Planeswalker deck, so this was my backup in case I didn't win the coin flip of a card that I can absolutely recommend. You shouldn't feel bad crafting. And so I'm going to take us up. I don't know if it's necessarily the second strongest card in the set, but it's like it's very powerful and it's almost sure to, to, see, to see play. So I'm going to go with Voidrend. Um, this is white, blue, black, instant. This spell can't be countered. Destroy target online permanent. We've also mentioned this, um, but now's a good time, I guess, to talk about that Esper Planeswalkers deck, which was one of the... You know, I thought it was a little overhyped. I didn't think it was the strongest deck in the format, but I think it was the most played, so people just liked it. Um, and it just got a whole influx of great cards, uh, in particular the new Triome, to help them with their mana troubles and then this card to continue just to add to their array of stuff that answers a lot of things 
but it also is important because with this set, um, you know, they've been relying a lot on Vanishing Verse, and Vanishing Verse will naturally get weaker after a multicolored set comes out, where a lot of the powers in multicolored permanents, people play more multicolored stuff. Vanishing Verse only hits monocolored permanents, uh, so Vanishing Verse will naturally get weaker. And it doesn't hit Obnixilis, which is a card you're going to exactly. want to get rid of. So now, now you still kind of get two-for-ones when you hit Obnixilis for this. It's not a total two-for-one because they did sack a creature to get that other copy. But, I mean, they upgraded their crappy one-drop into a, a Planeswalker. So it, it feels pretty much like you got two-for-ones. And I guess they got the extra Obnixilis activation, so it's probably... Probably uh, nets out to about a two for one. Mm -hmm. But honestly, if you don't do it, you just lose. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's an infinite for one in, in that sense, where it's like, instead of just losing the game right now, I give myself a chance. Yeah. Um, so I think this card's pretty important and slots into an already really great deck. So uh, you can expect, if you're an Esper player, this is going to be one of your go-to removal spells moving forward, because it's just, it's just so versatile. Yeah. With that being said, I, I really like the Void Rend pick. I do think that I wouldn't immediately craft all four. I might start with a few because there are yeah. other cards that will, will fit into some of the other slots and I might see how often I need it to go. So maybe I'd start with like two or three and then decide if two, I need yeah. the fourth one. Yeah, that's a good, good thing to call out too. It's like um, because of what I said where you still do have Vanishing Verse, like you're going to have to vary your removal suite and it's going to kind of adapt to the metagame. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like imagine if you had something like Eliminate at your disposal right now, you'd probably be wanting to be jamming four of those to answer up Nixilisk as quickly as possible. Yeah. So you're, it's naturally going to ebb and flow. I think probably eventually there will be some Esper lists that are running four of this. Um, but right now it's probably going to be like two of these, two or three Vanishing Verses, uh, a couple of the, you know, something like uh, Power Word Kill being mm -hmm. in the mix, uh, stuff like that. Um, but it's it's going to be pretty important as just a way to get Obnixilis off the table, for yeah. sure. That, and also it's really good in the mirror, of course, against that uh, Esper Planeswalker deck because can't be countered. So, um, yeah, I, that's a good one. That was uh, another one that I was thinking about, so... Obviously, we're on the same page with our layups. All right, Jeff, we're going right into our three-pointers. We're snake drafting, so what do you got for me? I'll just throw out this one as my, my three-pointer. Um, but this feels like, you know, this is like Steph Curry just shooting that three-pointer, you know? It's like I'm a lot more confident in it than... Yeah, it's, it's going <laughs> to go if, in. Uh, yeah. I were shooting it. Uh, so this is Endless Detour. Uh, this is green, white, blue for an instant... The owner of target spell, non-land permanent, or card in a graveyard puts it on the top or bottom of their library. After playing with the card, it's like, yeah, this card is very, very good. Um, my only reason of putting it below... I already forgot the name. Void of the card. Rent. I just labeled the best. Void Rent. Uh, my only reason for putting it below that is just that I'm not totally sure it's going to find as many homes. Like, Esper has already proven itself as a dominant color trio in this format. So people are naturally just going to keep building on that. I do actually think that there's a band deck. Like, there is... I feel like there is a Broker's deck out there. This mid-rangey, like, so many... It just has so many powerful cards. Exactly what you were talking about last week, that just some of the best two drops um, with... 
Luminarch Aspirant and Rangers class. Yeah, yeah. and Rangers class. Um, it's like that Gala Greeters. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a totally reasonable card. I just don't know how it's ever going to crack. Like, why would anyone play this? You're either going to play Luminarch Aspirant or you're going to play the Innkeeper. And this is like yeah. w- worse than both, but it kind of does both things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like, it just has so many good cards in it and this this card is just again super super versatile it's like if you have and if you haven't played against ether gust it might be hard to understand why this card's so good but you only have to play against ether gust when when you're playing uh like a green deck once <laughs> before you're like this is so dumb <laughs> like the old days of nissa untap breeding pool and ether gust whatever you do was just like wow that I just cannot win. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like Endless Dew Tour, um, and I'm very excited to play with it when I can open some, um, mm-hmm. and so I can finally try to build that Bant deck, but I'm still kind of holding out hope that I'll get them in the draft. Um, but I think it's great. It's also, like you were saying, it might be a piece of the puzzle against this Esper Planeswalker deck because they can't hit you with a couple things. Maybe they try to flash in their um, Wandering Emperor and you, like, get to bounce it or or they're using any of their uncounterable spells you get to bounce them so and, and that's what i was going to say too is like against obnixilis in particular what i'm about to say doesn't really apply but with so many people playing planeswalkers the best way to combat them is to not let them hit the battlefield because if you remove them after they hit the battlefield they've already done something mm-hmm. now the way casualty works uh you're still i think coming out behind on this interaction um but you still at least don't let one of the obnixilises do its thing Thing. yeah so it still is better than a removal spell against it but it still is sort of getting two for one a little bit Mm -hmm. um but that's just another reason that obnixilis is kind of a ridiculous card like yeah i can't even i can't even counter it basically (laughs) basically But no, this card is, is very nice at, against Planeswalkers because the best way to fight a Planeswalker is to just not let them hit the battlefield. Yeah. You can also just bounce the token, you know? So that's that's mm-hmm. just another good thing because if they're already trying to keep the token around and, like, sacrifice their uh, their real copy for something, you're just like, bounce the token and at least I get rid of it. It just is very versatile. Right. So that's why it's one on helpful. top is just going to have them sack their devil token and make two more. So Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you're not really happy with that. Great. I, I like that card. I'm excited to play with it. Um, I want to get into all the weird things that can happen with that card. But you can bounce the token while it's on the stack, too, which is weird. But you, like, same way we were saying you want to keep the token, you probably, if you're planning on countering one of the obs, you counter it's them. probably a good idea a lot of the time to counter the casualty copy. Yeah. So then they just. So they don't just draw it again. <laughs> so they just sack a creature to sack a creature, which is uh, feels good. I mean, to make you discard this, I guess. But yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. trade, well, they sack a creature. Sure, 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 sure. So you killed the creature instead. Uh, I don't know. It it, it kind of goes into a spiral. But um, all right, I like that. I have a three pointer that um, I think is pretty good. I think there's other there's some other cards that could make this three pointer, but. I think this one fits into a deck, and uh, we'll see it around, and it might surprise you which decks it goes into, but uh, 
I'm going to talk about Tenacious Underdog. This card... I mean, I, I love this card, so... Is, yeah. Uh, it's definitely a card I, like I thought... you chose the ones that I would normally choose. <laughs> I know. ones more with, like, what you would choose. Um, so, uh, if you don't remember, this is the um, two-mana human warrior. Uh, so, it's one and a black for a 3-2, and it, uh, it has Blitz. So, you can play... Uh, two black black and pay two life to blitz it which is weird because it costs more than that but you can cast tenacious underdog from your graveyard using its blitz ability costs less than that yeah sorry it costs less than that normally Mm -hmm. um so it's just a a two mana three two which is great in your black deck because you're also playing red because you're playing obnixilis so you're sacrificing Mm -hmm. this card to obnixilis to make a three mana copy uh, of your Omnixilis, which is perfect because that's the highest you can get basically on the curve hitting on two. And then you play this card from your graveyard. And then every time you blitz it, you pay two life, but you also get to draw a card, which is amazing. So you get awesome attacks from your graveyard, drawing more cards at the end of your turn. Plus, you're probably gaining the life back from the two life you're paying because of your devil right. token being out and you plusing your, your planeswalker. So this card ends up being really good in that deck uh the other cards that uh, kind of fill this plot this plot this spot are the blood tithe harvester which is from uh, mm-hmm. crimson vow it's another uh two mana like three two but it's uh black and red so it's a little harder to cast on turn two um always and then i don't think anyone is actually playing this i thought people would but i haven't seen it um but it's the uh skyclave um shade yeah i was gonna say remember when you said skyclave shade was the perfect like urban obnixilis I was like, well this card this this card's in the better. set and it's way better yeah um right. because you don't <laughs> have to like yeah it's just way better you don't have to return it to your hand or anything and replay it no it's so good so yes this card is the business. Also, this guy has abs for days and is awesome. So <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say my most important question with this card is if this guy's the underdog, what the fuck does the other guy look like? Yeah. <laughs> the fact that if you look in the art, so this dude is just like this human warrior ripped fucking crazy man. The his <laughs> trainer is a fucking dragon. That's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's the underdog. You know, he's yeah. <laughs> he's trained by dragons, but you know, nobody expects him to win. Yeah, who is he fighting? Like, I, and the thing is that, like, we're using him just to get sacrificed, too. Like, it's not even, yeah. like, so. Um, and I, I like that he just has brass knuckles on his belt, just in case. That aren't on his bit. hands. <laughs> so, it's like, it's a boxing match or whatever. Like, yeah. Bare knuckled boxing, it looks like. <laughs> but he's like, you know what? If I really start to lose, I could just slip these on. And then start going. Um, anyway, this card seems great. Uh, I think that it'll fit really well into, into these Obnixilis decks, but also, um, I'm sure you'll be able to find it in a bunch of decks that just like play black because it's a really good, strong two drop. They can trade off with whatever boards people are making that, uh, are trying to feast on Obnixilis decks. Um, yeah, this, this card's amazing. Yeah. Also blitzing something out after a board wipe to kill a planeswalker sounds very good. So, um, oh yeah. You had to yep. draw a card. I've seen the the dream where, you know, you had some treasure tokens lying around from your Kikijiki uh, saga, and you blitz this out, attack, and then sack it to Obnixilis. Draw the card. Oh. Two, um, like, you know, 
it it gives the deck some late game without actually forcing them to play any expensive cards. Mm-hmm. Like it's just classic. This card is amazing in that deck and uh is a big reason why I think right now like Jund is the deck to beat in the format. Mm-hmm. Just sort of Jund's mid-range tops out probably at uh Lolth. Um yep. but does this whole kind of exactly what curve you were talking about you know, the, the, the eight, two drops you mentioned into Obnixilis and, uh, Fable the Mirror Breaker into mm-hmm. the only green card really being the Seeker's Chariot, but mm-hmm. with the new mana, you don't, you know, it makes it pretty easy to get the Seeker's Chariot out on time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really powerful deck. Um, it's funny that the Blood Tithe Harvester is like the, probably the worst card in that deck and it's totally a, a reasonable card that yeah. has seen play so it's like um yeah that's that's a really powerful deck and this card's a big reason why because the curve into obnixilis is crazy so good um all right continuing with our snake draft going into half court shots um i have to make a decision here because i had two ready uh and i know that they're both cards that you are not going to talk about so i have to decide which okay. one i want to talk about so you know that I'm not going to like take the other one and you, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just really, I, I had two just in case I didn't know who was going to go first or whatever, but I was pretty positive you weren't going to choose either of these cards. So, um, <laughs> I, I think an what, offer you can't refuse. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 not, oh, no, not that. Um, so my half court shot is going to be something I wasn't expecting on talking about this card really ever throughout the entire set, but I played against it and it ended up being a lot more annoying and horrible than I thought. So I think it could, it could have a deck. It could do something. So we are talking about Ginny Faye, Jetmere's second. Uh, so she had quite a big part of the story that she, she dealt with, but this is the, um, it is a, a hybrid gruel mana, a green mana, and then a hybrid Celestia. So it is a mono green card if you want to, to play it that way. But I was thinking it would be more in like a Celestia deck or even possibly a Cabaretti deck. But I, I think that you, you'd probably stick to try, try to do two colors if you wanted to. But it's a 3-3 Elf Druid. But the thing about this card is that it says if you would create one or more tokens, you may instead create that many 2-2 green cat creature tokens with haste or that many 3-1 green dog creature tokens with vigilance. I was playing against this card and I was like, why are you playing this card? This seems dumb. But (laughs) all they're doing was playing wedding announcement and then they're playing this and they're also playing the, uh, what is it? Um, The black market tycoon. That's the Gruul 2-2 Cat Rogue that taps and creates a treasure token. So basically, all they were doing was like making as many treasures or tokens as possible. And then they could make a bunch of 2-2 cats and attack my Obnixilis. It was really frustrating. Because their board presence could like explode in a second. It was just like, I play this, and then I make a bunch of treasure, and then I just attack you immediately. And you're going to lose something. It just always seemed to be in a situation where like I couldn't do much about it because I wasn't playing enough board wipes and they got creatures on the board fast. There are so many cards that just make tokens. Like uh, Valderin, what is it? The Initiate that makes a blood token? That's a cat uh-huh. or, or that's a dog. Anything that makes blood tokens or makes treasure tokens or that makes 
any sort of token, one, one tokens, any token just becomes a hasty cat or like a vigilant dog that you end up having a wedding announcement that pumps all of them. It was really so much more frustrating than I thought. And I do think that there's a possibility this could be somewhere. I was really pleasantly surprised to see this deck um, come out and be like, if being on the board means something, I, I like how this could turn non token like sorry non creature tokens into creatures whenever you like not whenever you need them but if you decided to go into that play pattern you could so this it's it's a half court shot for sure but i i feel a little bit better than other half court shots i've taken on this card yeah you know i will admit that i missed that it's just any token i just assumed it said creature token because yeah. it makes creature tokens it is definitely, when you said it, I was like, all right, I'm going to need to hear what the reasoning is on this. Now, and I was like, it's better be something weird that I'm misreading the card and not totally getting it. It's like, okay, yeah, I didn't totally get it. Um, yeah, interesting. Any token, huh? Now I'm wondering if there's something that just, like, creates a fuckload of tokens that would just make, like, a bunch of hasty cats. You know, as, like, a combo. Oh, sort of insta-kill combo kind of thing. I don't think there's anything that doesn't already make, like, creatures... Like, they make a ton of tokens, but they're all, like, creatures already. Right, right. Is there anything that you can get under cost because it makes, like, a bunch of blood or something? Yeah. It's more blood than it really should. Or something um, like that. But even playing, like, Big Score or something, where you're like, sick, I actually... No, they're, they're, they're creatures. And they attack. You know, and you draw two cards or whatever. The great thing about this card is that you can choose whether it is uh, a cat or not. It says you may instead. So Right. So if you're like, you know what, I want those treasures from Big Score, you're allowed. Yes. So you can keep those treasures if you want. Um, if you want the blood, you can have that as well. We're in this huge token meta where like tokens are really big and there's just tokens right. around. So this is a card that uses tokens differently. If you ended up wanting to play this in your Jund Obnixilus deck and you happen to not want <laughs> Obnixilus token, you can make a hasty cat. <laughs> oh man, I would love that. That reminds me of, there was that um, like vintage tournament and mm -hmm. the, the championship was won because somebody turned his Black Lotus into a 3-3 with Oko yeah. and killed them. <laughs> like, that's what that would be like. You're a 2, right? But you have a card to discard. Omnixilis, make the token into a 2-2 two -two haze. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. So That's pretty fun. I don't see that coming up too often, but no. uh, I love that it can. Yes. I'm going to talk about Obscura Interceptor. So this is one white, blue, black for a cephalid, apparently, wizard. Um, flash, lifelink, 3-1. When it enters the battlefield, it connives. When it connives this way, return up to one target spell to its owner's hand. So this is sort of like... Uh, we kind of were talking uh, off-air about uh, um, the card from Midnight Hunt that did something very similar, Spell Queller. But uh, this oh, is you like mean, a, uh, Eldritch Moon. Sorry, yeah, Eldritch Moon. <laughs> a different uh, Innistrad. <laughs> but this is like the remand version of Spell Queller, right? Because it comes down, it draws a card, and, and puts it back in your hand. And then it's a 3-1 lifelink. I think it's a bit, like, it's only going to work in a tempo deck. And so tempo decks 
would rather not have to worry about mana, which is kind of the, it's kind of why I would label it not just an awesome card and just a half court shot because being three mana in what really wants to go in an aggro deck or a temp like a tempo them out kind of deck isn't the best, but it is a very powerful card, right? Like a three one mm-hmm. flash lifelink. It's probably a lot of the time a four two yeah. flash lifelink. Uh, that loots away your worst card and, you know, bounce, like, remands their spell is really, really good. It's just, I don't know if a tempo deck is going to exist in the format. Like, I wouldn't play this in Esper Planeswalkers. That's interesting, because I have seen some lists where it's in Esper Planeswalkers, and I do like Mm -hmm. that it is a card that is the same mana cost as Wandering Emperor. So you hold up which one you want, and sometimes Same play mana value, yeah. Mana value, like, sorry, not not mana cost, yeah, mana value. And so then, if you're holding up the four mana and they don't end up attacking you, so you don't exile anything, you can just flash this in as a creature if you need. Um, or if there's I an think empty that deck's board. so so much less interested in creatures, like actual creatures, because normally one of the benefits of that deck is you have to waste your removal spells on like a two-two token that they made or something, yeah, or like a a 1-1 one, one unblockable ninja to have an actual target for removal. I'm not totally sold on in that deck. Okay. But I, I do agree that being able to hold up this plus Wandering Emperor is definitely definitely interesting. Um, but I think where this would shine the most would be if you had some sort of like blue, you know the blue-white deck that uh, some people were playing uh, right around the time of the World Championship. Like one player brought it to the World Championship and it was very, like, tempo-oriented blue-white deck. Uh, if you could f- squeeze black in there, that's the kind of thing I'm imagining this would really be tough to beat. Mm-hmm. Like, it tops it tops out that curve. Okay, I, I can see that. Um, I think I'd have to watch it happen. I do like this card, and it was one I was thinking about. So I'm, I'm not completely off this mm-hmm. card. I think we might just have different applications for it. But um, yeah. I've played with and, it. And this is, you know trying to match your your level of a three point or a half court oh shot. for sure yeah, both yeah. of these are strong cards oh no no i'm saying Nazi play. this is a card that i was considering for my stuff yeah, so yeah. i I, right. I definitely <coughs> think it's it's worth um uh playing and i have played it a little bit and it was just as a body after someone like wiped the board seems to be i was happy with like a, a three or a four power lifelinker especially when you're like finally stabilizing the board and your life's a little low, you're like, well, you know, attacking some of your planeswalkers or your your, your opponent seems to be pretty good, but... I know. You always got to be a bit wary of things that get... <clears throat> excuse me. Things that get pumped, punked by the uh, the Meat Hook Massacre, right? That's, yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> um, which is just about everything. But... Um, right. But this one is... Uh, it can bounce their Meat Hook Massacre back to their hand and, uh, and play and, a creature afterwards. Know, make it better next turn. <laughs> that's true um <laughs> because they obviously i think don't. the lifelink is really important if it, it didn't is. have lifelink i probably wouldn't even look at it no and because no. it has lifelink it's like yeah that's pretty that's a pretty big deal it's a pretty big deal um and connive is like i said better than you think like right just being able to do that is it can be pretty strong so <sighs> yeah all right jeff um do we have some overrated underrated cards for this set um I was having a pretty hard time actually thinking about overrated ones because for the most part, they seem to be all really bonkers. So I think people are really, 
excited for this set, so it's hard to find overrated cards, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe I'm just excited for this set, and so cards people are excited about, I'm also excited about, so it's hard for me to find the overrated card. But, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's possible we could say Obnixilis is overrated because 75% of people want it to be banned already. And it's like, it's obviously amazing, but is it that good? Yeah. <laughs> that, but then also yeah. I think like I thought Obnixilis was going to be good but then playing with it and against it it's a lot better than I thought it's like it, I it thought is it was better it is better than you thought I thought it was going to be really good <laughs> it's very very good and so that's right. I don't often tell you to put four of your mythic wild cards which are the most coveted into something this is definitely worth it <laughs> like just yeah. Do it. This, the, no the card is insane like, it's insane all the little stuff we've been talking about adds up right it's, you can't actually counter it mm -hmm. and i know that <laughs> so, so there's just no way to trade profitably with this thing without having a huge board by the time it comes down yeah or, but how are you gonna do that it comes down on turn three so like, <laughs> yeah you have to be like way underneath it so which is really hard um i'm wondering if yeah. do you think so this is a card i was looking at earlier and i was it's not underrated or overrated. And I don't know if we're going to actually get to that section this time around, just because I don't know. It's, it's unless you have some underrated stuff, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. I do have I'm... my pick. So, so maybe I could convince you on my pick for overrated. Okay. Give me the overrated. My pick for overrated card. And again, overrated doesn't mean it's bad. It just means mm -hmm. that like I'm seeing everyone playing this and people are building decks around this card. Titan of Industry. This is four green, 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 seven, seven, reach, trample. Does two things when it enters the battlefield. Uh, just for context, you can't choose the same thing twice. Um, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Target player gains five life. Create a four, four, or put a shield counter. So it's like, I think this reads better than it is. People look at this, they're like, wow, seven, seven, reach, trample, that does two things when it ETBs. And it's like, I think you're not fully appreciating how much seven mana is in current day and age like seven mana should win you the game these days we're talking sultai ultimatum like mm -hmm. emergent ultimatum literally seven mana should win you the game and so people are building ramp decks they're building reanimator decks they're building all this stuff and it's like is that is this that much better than like i don't know just topping out at goldspan dragon like does this make your deck better um and so I think this is a powerful card. It, it is close, where it's like finally a creature for seven mana that feels like you're getting seven mana worth of stuff. But I just think you're not. Like, this isn't Dalren's Epiphany. This isn't, you know, Emergent Ultimatum. This seven mana needs to win you the game these days. And this is a creature. Like, this just gets eaten by, uh, you know, the two, the two mana spell. So mm -hmm. why are we bending over backwards to to play this is this this isn't ugin you know it, you don't ramp into this and win uh, i'm just not unless your opponent's playing like artifact enchantment deck and a four four is, is i don't know shield counters don't do anything against uh vanishing verse so yeah i think it's a bit overrated i i agree I, I have seen a lot of the um the reanimator decks with it i haven't seen ramp decks as much um but something that... Yeah, uh, I'm seeing some people try to ramp into this. It's yeah. sort of probably like a tier two sort of fringe kind of thing. But It's definitely the kind of card that I hate. <laughs> Anything that you ramp into, I tend to not like. I like cards that hit curve really nicely. Um, so I, I have quickly looked at this card and been like, meh, doesn't seem good enough. 
and uh, gone past. So I think I'm I'm probably on the same page as you of like I don't like it that much. I, I'm not really I'm not really happy. Like I think I would ramp into Coma before I ramped into this. Oh, absolutely! Coma is a nightmare. This card yeah. <laughs> does something once. Like if you're playing a card like this, like Cultivator Colossus, like that seems a lot more interesting. At least you draw cards. Like yeah, I mean you don't have to convince me about Cultivator. I know, I, I know you love that. So yeah, I I agree. It's um, it just seems like a big dumb idiot. You know? It's more flashy than good, right? It yeah. just seems like, whoa, it's it's awesome. But it's like that's just not how magic works anymore. You don't you can't get ahead by leaving a four four rhino behind uh the yeah. same way that you used to be able to when you spent five cards to make that happen to ramp it out early, you know, like or you know, three cards or four or whatever. Cards. Yeah. Honestly, my overrated card I don't know if I really have one. I, I, I've looked at cards for a while and it always feels like I just kind of feel the same as everyone else. Like nothing seems uh, just so powerful or, or, or people think it's so powerful, but I, I don't agree or anything like that. So for the most part, there's I think... There's no Beseju this time around. There's no Beseju. Um, nothing seems to be just crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I feel very... Very much like, yeah, and anytime someone's talking about a card, I'm like, I either feel fairly close to what they do or like, I probably, of all things, just think cards are, are um, undervalued uh, as opposed to, oh, that's just no good. I think that's fairly uh, common in multicolored sets because multicolored cards are harder to evaluate because they all do so many things and the mana costs are like the prohibiting factor and so you have to weigh it against how easy it is to actually cast that in the format mm -hmm. so obviously gold cards are strong and so set with a bunch of gold cards because you're like well all these cards seem pretty good i don't know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah do you did you have anything that you thought was underrated because you were saying that you thought maybe some people weren't coming in hot enough um i am wondering about this card and i don't even think it's underrated i think it's just not rated at all like it's one of the cards that people don't <laughs> look at or think about at all it's fair to say that's underrated then. Yeah, I, I'm wondering what what can happen with uh, Scheming Fence. So this is the white and a blue for a 2-3 human citizen. It says, as it enters the battlefield, you may choose a non-land permanent. And activated abilities of the chosen permanent can't be activated. And then Scheming Fence has all the activated abilities of the chosen permanent, except for loyalty abilities. And then you can only spend mana as though they were mana of whatever color for the abilities. But I'm wondering if this card could be a foil against Obnixilus in a nice way yeah. of being like, hey, I know I don't get your loyalty abilities, but on turn two, I just say Obnixilus. It'd be absurd if it got loyalty abilities. Right? right? So, but, yeah. but on turn two, I play this. Um, I'm thinking it's hard because my broker's deck, I know I, I want these other turn two plays. But in, in a nice sideboard deck, um, or sideboard game, sorry, um, this card comes down and you just say, no matter what, Obnixilus. Um, yeah, obviously, if you're playing against that card, but you're like, you have to kill this before you can do anything with your tokens. You could make them, but you, you can't use them. Um, deal with me. Seems like an interesting play. I don't know if it will... I, I, I feel like that's what the card was made to do, um, just being in the set, but it makes me intrigued, and I just don't think I've seen any single person talk about this card ever. So... Uh, I'm wondering yeah, if it, sure. 
if it does have applications, um, and it makes me kind of interested in it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up, because it's like, with this Planeswalker heavy meta, I feel like people read that last ability and say, oh, you're not supposed to use it against Planeswalkers. It's like, well, it's still a 2-3 that pithing needles your opponent's Planeswalker. Mm -hmm. That is good. Like... It doesn't have to also steal their abilities to be great. If, if there's a creature that or something that you can steal the ability, that's even better. But yeah, this is a 2-3 that Pithing Needles an opponent's Planeswalker. And one weakness of the Jund decks that I've noticed so far is they don't play a lot of removal. Most of them are playing like 4 Voltage Surge, and that's pretty much it. And it's like, okay, this is a real problem for them. Mm -hmm. um, because they're, so much of their game plan is reliant on Obnixilis, uh, I believe you can also turn off uh, the, the Cadillac with this. Yeah. Um, like it's they still get the two two twos. It's not great, but it's like it okay, blocks the I two twos block really your, well. I can block your two twos, and you can't activate your chair. Mm -hmm. right? It's not bad. Um, as for Planeswalkers, you know, it preempts the Wandering Emperor, it preempts Kaito, it preempts mm -hmm. Lolf. Like there's just a lot of activated abilities going on right now. Um, it dodges Vanishing Verse, right? Yeah. Like, it's just a totally reasonable two-drop to play in a in a blue-white sort of creature-based deck. Um, and it attacks those Planeswalkers or other ones. So, exactly. As opposed right. to a Pithing Needle, which won't. Now, it makes you wonder, like, is it, am, am I better off just playing Thalia and, and forcing them to pay an extra mana for those Planeswalkers? And, uh, probably, but, like, that doesn't mean <laughs> this, can't slot, this can't slot in. Mm -hmm. Like, Thalia's legendary, too, so, you know... Maybe you play three Thalia, and then, like you're saying, these in your sideboard or, or a couple of these or something. Because I've seen posts where people are like, yeah, I've just started main decking Pithing Needle uh, because of Bob Mixless. Um, so it's like this is a great option for creature decks mm -hmm. that want Pithing Needle but don't want to play Pithing Needle. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's not good in an aggro deck. <laughs> really interesting. So... I think it's, it might be underrated, but I'm glad that you're kind of on board with it because I was looking at it today and I was like, you know what? That seems like a fun play. And I'm trying to think if there's any dope creatures whose ability I actually want to steal. Like, can I steal this active? Is there a great activated ability that people play that this can actually steal? That would be that would put the, the cherry on top for me where I'm like, yes. Probably, but um, do you have a uh, an underrated card as I kind of look for some of those abilities we might want. So I feel like I had to go with this card. Um, and maybe this is just the, the black-red sort of base player. Maybe this is this just the gend, the gend in me that chooses this card. Um, and again, underrated is always relative. I, I don't know. But I haven't seen anyone playing this card, and I haven't seen anyone yelling about this card. But to me, Riveteer's Charm is just insane. This card is just insane, and I'm not seeing it pop up, and that surprises me. I thought, like, day one, this card would be all over the place. So, Riveteer's Charm, to remind you, black, red, green for an instant. Choose one. Target opponent sacks a creature, Planeswalker they control, highest mana value among creatures and Planeswalkers they control. Or, exile the top three cards of your library until your next end step. You may play those cards. Or, exile target player's graveyard. All of these are great. Like when the th so obviously the easiest one to talk about is Exile a Graveyard. When that's good, it's amazing. 
when it's not good, you choose one of the other modes. Yeah. Like having this incidentally on cards is super, super powerful. So uh, graveyard hate on a card you would otherwise play anyways is what kills graveyard decks. They keep printing it and it's still good. Uh, the first option is soul shatter, which people are already playing. <laughs> this is already a card that people play just for that first option mm -hmm. uh, for three mana. It's, it's not like this is more expensive. It's, it's the same. And then the second option, you get to draw three cards? Three! Like, isn't this card just very, very good? <laughs> it is. Like, all of these options are great. They're all very good. Uh, they get rid of all graveyard decks, which is any sort of reanimation, titan industry, whatever bullshit that happens to be yeah. around. Also gets rid <laughs> of all the tenacious uh, underdogs. Like... That's rough. Yeah. Goldspan Dragon. Goldspan Dragon gets killed um, from option this. Option one. Yeah. yeah. Draw into something. And if you something. know your opponent's not doing anything, exile three cards mm -hmm. and play them. It like even does a little bit of a uh, showdown of the Scalds impression there. Yeah. <laughs> the card's just very, very good. I expected it to be in all of these Jund Midrange decks, and I haven't actually seen anyone cast it. So. Nope. I've seen it in draft, and it's been rough. <laughs> just someone yeah. <laughs> soul shattering you and you're like fuck are you serious like that that's right. been rough um it's also good in draft to get rid of the uh, of the threshold the thing counters. yeah and the shield counters yeah get around it you like oh sanctuary warden bye-bye sorry about it that you're yeah. yeah you're screwed so um yes i <clears throat> i like this card it's a good card craft these they're uncommon just take them just get them yeah just make them. Yeah, well. I, I think this will see play in older formats too. It's just, yeah. it's just too versatile. Honestly, like, I could see playing this in Explorer. Yeah, all of the the charms, like you, they're uncommon. It's amazing. Just get all of them. I almost like a lot of them. I was thinking about for all these different um, uh, lists or tiers or whatever. So just, just uh, honestly, just craft them all. They're great. I like them. Yeah. You will not be short on uncommon wild cards if you just play enough. Yeah. So there you go. Woof, Jeff. I think it's time for last call. Yep. <clears throat> so as always, uh, we rate our beers on a scale of bronze to mythic. And uh, this has nothing to do with uh, the tier that you are in currently, but it is obviously a fun way to rate beers. So we like to do it this way. Um, but bronze beers are trash. They're horrible. They're so bad. Um, you, you have to pour them out and you, you can't even finish drinking them. Silver beers. Uh, these are macro brews generally fall in this category, but they're beers that don't have a, a bunch going on. They're kind of stock. Yeah. Gold beers are fine, but you probably won't drink them again. Platinum. These are ones you will drink again. They're they're good. Diamond beers are exceptional. You would recommend these to your friends, and you buy these often. And Mythic, of course, the absolute best of the best. These are the ones that you you know drive out of town for. These are the ones that you recommend to anyone and anyone, everyone and anyone who would listen. Uh, these are top tier. All right, Jeff. Do you know what you're gonna pick for this evening? Which beer you have online? I think so. All right. I think so here we go. Three, two, one. From oh, underneath. Hey! <laughs> what? Yeah. I am so surprised you did not want <coughs> the Imperial Chocolate Porter. 
You 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 picked the double IPA that I brought. Interesting. Interesting. So where should we start? Let's start with you because I'm so interested to know why you picked the uh, the double IPA. Okay, so um, this was me trying to. What's the right word? This is trying to me like, try. This is me trying to. <laughs> sorry, I had nineteen point one percent. This is me trying to account for my own personal style preference. So I'm naturally going to enjoy a porter more than I'm going to enjoy an IPA, even though I really like IPAs. Um, I think probably my end result is that this is a better double IPA than that is an Imperial Porter, even though Imperial Porters are almost always good because you're putting a lot of time into making them, Mm -hmm. right? This is like a relative, relative to the competition kind of rating. Um, And so this just has a bit more to do with from underneath, not hitting me uh, as hard as I wanted it to hit me. Whereas all things die kind of have the opposite effect a little bit. Uh, I just saw, oh, it's an, you know, 8.1% double IPA. I've had this time and time again. Um, and not that it blew me out of the water, but it, uh, it came in a little hotter than, than that. My expectation was, you know, uh, run of the mill, same thing I've had a million times before. And I think it was a, a more solid example of that than, you know, I was I was underselling it a bit with my with that expectation. Nice, very interesting to hear. Um, just because when I was, uh, I mean, I agree that imperial porters are usually something that I would lean closer towards before a double IPA. But I was thinking with this eight point one percent on this double IPA, I was going to be um, maybe a little bit more, uh, smooth sliding into it. And it felt a little bit more abrasive and not, uh, not really mm-hmm. what I was hoping. And it ended up being like a little, it kind of threw me off a bit. And, uh, I was a little just kind of uh, disappointed. I think, um, I, I was hoping it would be a little bit smoother and juicy and it was very just like, uh, punchy, I guess. Yeah. I think it kind of like, they don't really clarify what style it they're going for yeah but it looks like a sort of uh east coast style ipa that has that fruity Mm -hmm. juiciness to it but it doesn't really taste like that no but it certainly looks like it when you pour it out you're like oh it's an east coast ipa but it doesn't have it has Uh, like strong hop flavors and it has dried my mouth enough that i can taste that kind of uh bitter notes um in mm -hmm. no sense that i think it was bad i just um I think there's definitely double IPAs are like more than it. And I don't disagree that it's well made, but I didn't really enjoy it as much as the other one. So, yeah, I mean, I was going to joke that, you know, we've said a few times on this show, but I like the Imperial Stouts and Imperial Porters. Mm -hmm. No surprise. I like a similar thing, but I want it to punch me in the mouth when I first got it. And I was like, the second beer punched me in (laughs) more than the first beer. So it's like, Maybe it's, it was just giving me what I felt like I was missing from the first one. Kind of Maybe. my rating a bit too, but yeah, uh, I, I'm not I'm not going crazy here. I think I think all things die is probably platinum, but yeah. Uh, so that's why I was saying it was more just like from underneath, not meeting my what I was hoping for, and more than this beard blowing me away. Yeah, honestly, I think all, all things die for me felt very like I'm look. <sighs> I'm going to give it gold. I didn't like it that much. Um, 
I was kind of bummed. I have another one, so I was I was uh, hoping I'd like <laughs> it a lot, but um, but no, it's, it's always uh, the beers you get two of. I know, oh, man. <laughs> and it, it's totally fine. Obviously, it's beer, and I'll drink it, but uh, it's definitely not one that I'm going to remember and want to go back and get another one. Um, and and uh, just jumping into from underneath. Um, you know, this one felt a, a smoother, so <laughs> obviously we were looking for different things and different... It, it, it is very smooth, yeah. Um, uh, which I enjoyed the flavor, but I'm also just going to give this platinum. I uh, I thought it was it was solid, it was a good beer, um, and I liked drinking it, but it's definitely not my go-to Imperial Porter in no means. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give it platinum as well. Yep. I, I think I was just hoping for like... Because, you know, a lot of the beers that crack Mythic are these Imperial Porters yeah. and stuff, and I'm, so my expectation is almost like diamond versus mythic for these kinds of beers. Mm-hmm. And so when, within my first sip, I was like, this is probably platinum. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt the same way where it's like, oh yeah, this is, and now I don't know if it's cause it comes in a can or whatever. So, you know, it's hard because yeah. sometimes when you open a bottle, you're like, there's something special about this, but we have tasted. But we wanted to start with this one so that it opens our palate, right? Because that's what the, the one of the best things these beers do, and then it just didn't really because it was so smooth. And... Yeah. So our 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 third moon uh, tap takeover is coming close to an end. Uh, there's there's a possibility we'll have some more next week, but uh, we haven't decided on that yet. Um, yeah. But uh, hint. We what? Sorry. <laughs> I said we're leaving some like strange hints for that. Yeah, there 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 are some <laughs> hints, but if you've been here this this long, you know that we leave some at the end of an episode. So, uh, in, in any case, um, just some solid beers tonight. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, and I want to reiterate, like we talk like we're disappointed, but like platinum's a totally reasonable rating for a beer. Yeah. Right? So, um, you know, we don't have to go through the whole scale again, but it's just like we were just expecting maybe a diamond and. Mm-hmm. get a platinum but it's still a, a totally enjoyable beer exactly enjoyable. i i think throughout a lot of this brewery to be honest we've we've expected some more platinums and, and come up or sorry i expected more diamonds come up with more platinum right. so um it, it, we've just maybe uh it's taking some time to to reevaluate our, our system but uh as far as this well, this well we started with the banana beer so uh, that one was great i liked that one a lot so <laughs> that one's that set my expectations in the wrong ballpark, I guess. You know, I think that banana beer had more going on with Indie Ale House than it did with uh, Third Moon. Third it's Moon possible. might have uh, come up with the idea. But anyway, um, that is the end of our, our beer rating and our last call. So it is time for closing time. You can always find us at Arena Regulars on Twitter and Instagram if you want to tell us about more breweries you want us to check out. Yeah, you can also look for us on MTG Arena itself under the username Arena Regulars Podcast. You can find me personally on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Zulberg. That is Z-E-U-L-B-E-R-G. But Jeff, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter. That's at BluesBrewsMTG, uh, spelled like it sounds. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review on Spotify. Go to all the places that you listen to us right now. Uh, like us, follow us. Um, engage with us as much as possible because we would love to hear all of your comments and uh, anything we can make anything that helps us make the show better is is something that we would really love to hear so um, give us all your thoughts all your feedback this has been the arena regulars reminding you that you absolutely can copy an obnixillus token for the zika's chariot good night
right. That's fine.